Attention Talking Simpsons listeners, we have a new podcast miniseries exclusively on Patreon right now. For $5 and up subscribers at patreon.com slash talking simpsons, you get Talk King of the Hill Season 2 Part 1. That's right, we're returning to King of the Hill once again putting out 11 new episodes covering the first half of the show's second season. Again, that is patreon.com slash talking simpsons. Be there or be not right. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons where it's all your fault. I'm your host, the blow-dried college boy Bob Mackey and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons who is here with me today. Hey, it's Henry Gilbert and every year I outstrip myself in succulents. And who do we have on the line? Tim Kilpagas. Hey guys, how's it going? And today's episode is Bart versus Thanksgiving. I hope you're happy, Bart. You ruined Thanksgiving! This episode aired on November 22nd, 1990, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby, today Margaret Thatcher resigned as the Prime Minister, and I hope she rots in hell. <laughs> the Undertaker debuts in the World Wrestling Federation, and the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, but called the Super Famicom, launches in Japan alongside Super Mario World. Wow. We wouldn't get it for nine more months. Yeah, long, long wait we had to make. But yeah, I, yeah, I realized as I said that Undertaker thing that I've had like <laughs> seven different Undertaker news bits. It's true. <laughs> and I'll use the same joke I used before. He's never been scarier than when he revealed himself as a Blue Lives Matter guy. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the Undertaker did make his debut uh, at the yearly Thanksgiving pro wrestling event called Survivor Series. And so, okay. it, uh, yeah. So that would be that he was on his first Paul Bearer at the time. Uh, yes. Yeah. Got Paul it. Bearer was, uh, was, well, he wasn't slim, but he was young. He was young. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I guess we need British listeners to talk about how Margaret Thatcher got edged out of the prime minister position mm. and had to resign or something but is that covered in v for vendetta uh, i have read that <laughs> uh that that could only imagine that was written in early in her regime so i would guess it was people in anonymous masks that got her to <laughs> uh to resign uh, but super mario world one of the best video games like ever yes Love that game the introduction of yoshi he was born that day he was and uh, dinosaurs just took over the 90s from that point on <laughs> the, the coolest <laughs> i i just watched the super mario brothers movie and it's so mario world specific they're in like dino world and stuff and they chose to really get behind that movie i mean that video game instead of the earlier ones it was bizarre i think they just basically stopped at dino world and then wrote their movie because there's nothing in the movie that's anything like mario in fact uh the princess in the movie is from mario land Yes. That was a weird oh, pull. Yes. It's so yeah, weird why that... wouldn't there be Peach? Everyone's tuning in for Peach and we get Princess Daisy? Come on. And everybody's like a pile of mucus. Like, yeah. I... And it's really the Luigi movie, yeah. ultimately. Oh, like Wazamo's breakout role. <laughs> I liked seeing, uh, there was a funny thing like 10 years ago, like Wazamo, I saw him in an interview, get asked about that movie and he's just trashing on it like worst movie ever. <laughs> Bob Hoskins and me were drunk every day. And then five years ago, he's asked by fans of the movie to like, like record a thing for the anniversary and in that he's like you know it it uh, not everybody's favorite movie but you fans keep it alive like i appreciate it. 
How his tone has changed. Just, I think it would be so great if on the 25th anniversary of something, he was like, I hate this and it's embarrassing to me, <laughs> even though you guys love it. So You're much. wrong to like it. <laughs> and I despise you. But yes, our special guest today is Tim Kalpakis, one of our favorite people. One of the birthday boys also was a writer on Comedy Bang Bang and I Love You America. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And don't forget, my most important credit is production assistant on The Simpsons. That was our special <laughs> surprise for the listeners. And you are, I think, one of two uh, production assistants I think we've talked to so far on this show. Yes, we, we talked to Kate Raft a little oh, bit yeah. ago. And I think she came she came after you. I think I paved the way for Kate. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I guess let's start there. Like, how did you start there while you're beginning your Hollywood comedy career? Yes, it was. It was my first uh, showbiz job. So I would be sort of doing getting really, really, really into UCB and doing sketches at UCB every night. So then I was just a terrible employee <laughs> for I was specifically working for Gracie Films. So I was like James L. Brooks's production assistant. And I would drive things back and forth from from the Fox lot to the Sony lot where, where he was. But I, I had the job for four years. And like in Hollywood terms, there's like no such thing as a production assistant who works someplace for four whole years. You're supposed to be promoted. And so in retrospect, I was kind of grumping around the place. And uh, now I look back and just think it was probably all my fault. And I did a really bad job. There. <laughs> you really brought the show down. Uh, yeah. I've, I've heard tales that the one way they're able to splurge usually at the Simpsons is getting a big meal or like crazy meal. So as the lunch guy, you've you probably had some uh, some tough giant orders to fill. Well, they really did. You could see. I mean, I think this happens at a lot of offices where lunch, it takes on so much meaning because your whole morning is spent just being like, oh, man, lunch is going to be good. <laughs> and we'll power through lunch. And Simpsons was that like to the greatest degree where um, we would always get lunch from a restaurant, a different restaurant every day. But then you could, if you didn't want anything from the restaurant, you could get from the Fox commissary, which was pretty good commissary food as well. And it started off as like, you know, if maybe if you were a vegan and you didn't want from the burger place you're getting, you could get soup from the commissary. But then it just sort of turned into everybody mixing and matching, like within one one writer's lunch, <laughs> like commissary soup and then an entree from the restaurant. And could you stop by Starbucks and get me a piece of cake? And <laughs> I would be putting down a grocery, a brown grocery bag for each writer, and they would have a, st a stack of lunch that they would go to town on. And it seemed very wasteful to me, but it's like, hey, uh, if, if, if that's what was powering them through this job and inspiring them, that's what they needed. Who had like the funniest lunch order? Or were they all just like the same like islands kind of order usually? <laughs> they, they were... <laughs> I remember that Matt Selman is is a foodie. Oh yeah. So he was sort of uh, interested in in food. So um, and I don't even know Matt Selman, but I handed him his lunch. And um, <laughs> I remember like a lot of the guys just would want like Junior's Deli and just a, a pastrami sandwich and something that was just classic lunch food. So I feel like when that Selman would be the one who was excited about getting something maybe like a little more international, whatever. But I also remember him having the biggest bag where it would be like maybe like four four lunches piled up so that he could taste them all uh what i i've heard tell 
that Mike Mitchell, uh, did he follow you as uh, uh, working there? Was that at the same time? He, um, I hooked him up with that job because you know what happened is they they were hiring a PA and I, Mitch was my friend and I brought his resume in and I went to the receptionist and I said, hey, this is my friend Mitch. Uh, can you submit him to be a PA? And the receptionist related up the chain as this is Tim's friend. And they thought that it was Tim Long's friend, oh. <laughs> not, not Tim Kalpakis' friend. So Mitch got an interview. A lot of people submitted, but Mitch got an interview based on that misinformation that the writer Tim Long was recommending him. Yeah, then Mitch got the job. We worked there together. He was more like a writer's PA while I was working for Jim Brooks. But he had, I mean, one of the all-time... <laughs> low moments was um they, they sent mitch out for dinner and he went to junior's deli and got 30 dinners all different types and then when he got back with the food they had all left for the night oh. and, and decided that they weren't going to have dinner dinner but nobody texted him um and mitch cried oh, <laughs> oh poor cried. guy oh, oh god and uh i felt so bad for him but i said hey bring all the food up to my house and then we brought 30 different dinners up to my sketch group's house and the seven of us sat and ate 30 dinners like we just opened them all up and had forks and just went to town on them <laughs> That's, uh, i love it was subsidizing the birthday boys i love that well yeah this, they helped us out big time this is a very jim brooksy episode so you can tell us if he showed you the same kind of warmth he shows in his comedy writing <laughs> oh yes he he shows that warmth to everybody i i noticed that too i was watching and thinking these early seasons you are it is very brooksy everything mm -hmm. is is tugs at the heartstrings and it works I think he was doing it until he started like working on the uh, as good as it gets. Once that production started up, that probably took him away from Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. Then he was in movie mode. Uh, and and uh, I mean, Tim, were you watching this on Thanksgiving Day in 1990? Nope. I, I was a late bloomer with The Simpsons. So 1990, I'm uh, seven years old, but probably still just watching kiddie cartoons and not cool ones like The Simpsons. So I caught on later. I bet I would have seen this in... You know, my Simpsons heyday would have been like late 90s, early 2000s when it was on my local affiliate, like at 6 p.m., 6.30 p.m., and then 11 and 11.30, and I'd watch like four episodes per night. That's probably when I first laid eyes on this episode. Oh, yeah. Your time on the PA thing, that must have overlapped with some of the movie production, too. So was that even uh, busier than, than other times when you were working there? It was, it was, and you're exactly right. That when I started, they were midway into the movie. Wow! So everyone was telling me like, it's not usually like this. This is <laughs> crazy. But you know, to me, I'm still just getting lunches, so I'm not really taking on any of that stress. <laughs> um, but it made me very happy as a comedy nerd. All the old writers who had left and become billionaires were back for the movie. So just I, uh, John Schwartzwelder with like a big handlebar mustache would be standing outside smoking all day. Wow! And I, I never said more than hi and bye to him, but that guy, I was, you know, idolized him and had heard all these stories about how he lives in the desert and collects Civil War artifacts and stuff like that. And then one time I made a delivery up to George Meyer, the writer of this very episode. Oh, wow. And I was in his parking, in his uh, driveway. He he lived in uh, Wilt Chamberlain's old house. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Nice on Mulholland Drive. And I was delivering some, maybe a script to him. And I said, hey, by the way, you know, I, I, uh, I 
really love Army Man. I've seen some of your old uh, newsletter, Army Man, on online, and I think it's really funny. And he was like, hey, do you have hard copies? And I was like, no, I've only ever seen scans. And he went into his garage and came back out with like a stack of like, you know, comedy nerd treasures for me. Uh, And and so now I have uh, all those old Army Mans from the 80s with like Jack Handy and Bob Odenkirk. I've got all original copies of those. That's amazing, man. I I was say, you know, you mentioned Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, I wondered if you'd. I was going to ask if you'd met George Meyer maybe through the the Odenkirk connection because he was an executive producer on uh, on the Birthday Boys. Right. It was two totally separate worlds. I became friends with Bob because he saw me at UCB and we did shows together there. And then separately during the day, I'd be going into work and seeing Bill Odenkirk. Uh, <laughs> working at the Simpsons, but I never really, and, and I introduced myself to Bill and Bill's a really nice guy and stuff, but those worlds felt very separate to me because I was also ashamed of what a bad employer I was. <laughs> and and in my meetings with Bob, I was trying to convince him that I'm a hotshot writer. So I didn't talk about how I was pouring coffee all day. <laughs> and uh, they were like these two, two worlds that didn't really intersect. It's always strange to hear someone having actually met John Swartzwelder because I think there's only one picture of him online and it's from maybe 1991 in a group of uh, other writers. So it's always strange <laughs> yes. to know that he's real. His mustache is real. He was present somewhere. That picture is why I recognize him. I know the exact picture you're talking about. And then I was like, that's the guy. Age him up 10, 12 years. And that's the guy. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, the, the George Meyer thing, I, I also think of him with Odenkirk because like the way I knew how he looked was I was not only an obsessive of Simpson commentaries, but also the Mr. Show commentaries. Oh, yeah. And like yeah. on the first episode of it, Bob Odenkirk goes like, hey, there's George Meyer, one of the funniest writers in Hollywood. And he tells some story about when George was starting on Simpsons that he called like Bart J- Matt or Mark or something. And he's like, who cares what his name is? It's the the boy sends the slide. The boy. <laughs> George Meyer was super nice. And I will say when I talked to him, a real like genius vibe, you know, not not just like, hey, I'm a goof around comedy guy, but just like everything he said was very sweet and nice and very smart. And uh, and I was like, oh, that I'm talking to a genius right now. <laughs> George Meyer, I he was the first. I think we've already done a writer's corner. For oh, him yeah. Because he's a credit in season one. He's but, uh, uh, this is his first solo script. But wasn't he on um, the uh, Crepes of Wrath as one of five writers on that episode? Yeah, yeah I thought so. Which we we found out later from interviewing John Vitti was like literally the draft was written together in the room, which is never how they write a Simpsons, but they did it that day. And uh, and and I knew Meyer. He was the first Simpsons writer I actually like knew because I in the year 2000 he did a New Yorker profile yeah. that like my yeah. mom. Uh, well, I mean he didn't do it. Uh, the New Yorker profiled him, and it was like my mom passed it along to me. And it, it was also one of those moments where I felt like, man, I'm so mature. My mom is passing me along a New Yorker profile. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a grown up now. <laughs> and he's actually credited with very few episodes, but he's very essential to the creation of the sh- the sense of humor in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of say, uh, I think I read that same New Yorker profile. It's kind of melancholy, but he, um, I think they kind of frame it as that he was so valuable as a joke writer that they needed him in the rewrite room so he doesn't have too many script credits because you could send Schwartzwelder off 
to go write his own episode, but you always wanted to have George Meyer present for rewrites and that's where he was most useful. And I know in the C in the Mike Scully years of, of nine to 12, that like Meyer became basically co showrunner with him, or at least like co head writer in the room. I guess that New Yorker profile also is about how like his the, the tense family yeah. situation growing up, which this episode is entirely about that. Yeah. Wow. That, uh, that's some James L. Brooks stuff as they probably were pulling autobiographical things. I, I just remember from that, I think in that New Yorker piece, he says, George Meyer is like, if my tombstone says Simpsons writer, that's the saddest thing I can think of. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. And to me, someone who looks up to him, I'm like, oh no, that makes you sad. Am I basing my life on the wrong thing? That sounds more like a Harry Shearer quote to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> he would say Spinal Tap. I would, wait, He'd say maybe Simpsons. Uh, maker, creator of Le Show. Oh, of course, the genius Le Show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jazz radio and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, I guess I mean let's um start from the beginning here I guess with this episode so this episode is you know when I saw it as a kid I think it was the introduction to the um uh, idea that Thanksgiving could be stressful for people like I mm-hmm. I don't think I ever really un as a kid got Thanksgiving until this episode so I I didn't get it until hmm. this one and I don't think we had a big I can't remember a family big Thanksgiving fight until uh let's say I was 15 I think okay. there was one of those but it took a while <laughs> uh, but this one starts out with Marge the visual of her pulling the guts out of a turkey and and humming green sleeves and this has a real like shorts kind of feel to it because it's just Maggie like silently walking around yeah there's a lot of just observational stuff with the family it's a bit uh it's not really high concept at this point and it also really feels uh i i do like silverman the director of this one the opening is real clever i think because it follows maggie two places it's like maggie looks at marge then she goes into the living room then she follows lisa upstairs oh, that's then right she yeah comes back down they, they drop it after this first act but it's uh, i think it's a good framing device i like those kind of visual chilled out passages it really doesn't feel like anything we have on on tv anymore and i did get lulled into the tone of it that there's like well you can really feel this this is sparse and like i'm enjoying the animation and actually thinking about it as a cartoon as opposed to just like joke 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 plot 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 we we know the simpsons and we're barreling along like i felt like uh i was really lulled into the world even two years later you'd never start an episode with marge humming green sleeves for like 20 seconds (laughs) yeah but I but I love the the feel of it. And then uh, and then in another very like shorts moment, it's just Bart and Lisa acting like actual children and arguing over something. And yeah, and I, I mean, me and my brother, we fought over dumb things, but I didn't have the the ability to explain it the way Lisa easily does. Of just like he only wants it because I want it. <laughs> what do you think in like the cultural context? I don't have many like real world memories of the first big splash of the Simpsons where it's like Bart like don't have a cowman and Bart Simpson is is a, a, a t-shirt and like he's an icon for being a little bad boy. And I guess that's what uh, maybe season one that was like right off the bat. That was huge. So then when we get to an episode like this where he's like we meet him and he's like suffocating Lisa (laughs) it's not even like a it's not a likable little stinker you know he's kind of like a bad boy in this episode and I wonder how if that how people reconciled that if if they were conflicted about it or if Hmm. or if little little stinkers were watching this being like yeah I'm gonna choke my sister (laughs) (laughs) I I think America had been introduced to Bart enough to realize like we watch Bart because Bart's a bad kid but in these episodes these early seasons he would at least be remorseful or if you know if he had a 
struggle to reach that point. But I think in the future he would just be in league with Satan and cackling over his evil <laughs> deeds. Right. Yeah. This, but he he has an arc here and he has a conscience still. Yeah. As as a little boy, definitely I I viewed Bart as the main character. I was like, I I'm almost Bart's age. He's the main guy, and I I agree with him. So even when he acts up here, probably eight year old me was thinking, well, Bart's right. His is Lisa's <laughs> trying to keep all the glue for herself. <laughs> this is a correct Bart reaction. deserves some of that glue. Bart should get on his skateboard and escape with the glue. <laughs> Say cowabunga and then jump. Yeah. Uh, the, there's also the joke of Maggie almost drinking glue. Again, it's like these these dangers yeah. of Maggie, things happening to Maggie, very short. Scene. Almost getting electrocuted. And I also like that Homer, first he's like a, just the mean dad of, of trying to discipline him, but then he, he becomes just like a big kid watching the Macy's Day Parade. Like my, my mom growing up like the Macy's Parade a lot and I do too but my dad never gave a crap about it. I love when Homer likes something especially when he's watching TV but it's just so it's the best thing ever to watch like a dumb oaf watching something dumb and and loving it but I do just the fact he got the first like big lol they got out of me in this episode was when when bart's like what float is that and homer's like it's underdog don't you know anything <laughs> yeah. like did that like that to homer is knowledge like if you're informed if you know who that cartoon character is this is not a problem for uh, modern kids anymore because nothing ever goes away yeah, in fact right. bullwinkle and underdog would come back within 10 years of this and like, bullwinkle came back again with a new series oh yeah there just was a new bullwinkle show on Amazon wasn't there the and today they just announced a Velma prequel what get ready for that on HBO Max really yes wow. well all right <laughs> yeah it's yeah you know the Homer joking about that is probably the same energy that got Hollywood producers to by the end of the 90s produce a live action Rocky and Bullwinkle and underdog film yeah yeah <laughs> but but who when people thought of like oh an underdog film did they imagine like an anthropomorphic dog voiced by Jason Lee like that <laughs> That's gonna be the underdog right it's so it's just like it was green lit and then they had to figure out like uh oh how do we actually make this movie now we got the money but yeah transformers he-man they never go away it's just our our culture must exist for the next generation forever that's, that's... We like words that we've heard before <laughs> the simpsons will be right back Thanksgiving is a time for delicious food. Ah, cranberry sauce a la Bart. And warm family gatherings. Ding dong, here comes the cavalry. No, nothing can ruin this holiday at The Simpsons. Homer, shouldn't you go pick up Grandpa? Half time, Bart, half time. Well, almost nothing. All right, Bart, go to your room, now. Okay, I'll take some white meat stuff to go and send up the pumpkin pie in about 20 minutes. The Simpsons, Thursday at 8 on Fox 5. Welcome to the break, everyone, and now I know how the Pilgrims felt. It's Henry Gilbert, and a big thank you to our guest this week, Tim Kalpakis. Me and Bob were so excited to have him on because we're big fans of his sketch show, The Birthday Boys, his band, The Sloppy Boys, and also his podcast, The Sloppy Boys. Please check out all of that stuff 
right now. And also, if you're a fan of the Talking Simpsons podcast, you should know that me and Bob do this as our full-time jobs because of support of listeners like you at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. This is a listener-supported show, and it's how me and Bob do it as our full-time jobs. And those $5 a month patrons at patreon.com slash talking simpsons get so much for their support. They get to hear every episode of Talking Simpsons a week ahead of time and ad-free. You can hear next week's episode right now if you remember. And the same goes for our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, where each week me and Bob break down an animated series in the same style we do The Simpsons. So you should definitely check that one out too. Plus, you get access to a giant back catalog of podcasts exclusive to Patreon, over 100 of them. Do you like shows like The Critic, Futurama, King of the Hill, and Mission Hill? Well, you can only hear me and Bob talk about those shows in depth, Talking Simpsons style, if you're a $5 and up patron at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, plus tons more. Hear them all. Sign up today. But if you want something even fancier than cranberry sauce a la Bart, then you should sign up at the $10 premium level at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. All that $5 bonuses I just talked about, you get those, but you also get for 10 bucks a month, the What A Cartoon Movie Podcast, the most in-depth big time podcast that me and Bob do each month. We cover an animated feature film as deep as we go into The Simpsons. That means talking about the history of the film, us going scene by scene over an entire film for up to four hours. Once even we went to five hours. You can hear us talk about this month, the uh, cult film Cool World. And the month before that, over four hours of chat about Shrek. It's Shrek's 20th anniversary, and we talked about the green ogre everyone remembers for over four hours. And there's a giant back catalog, and there's a giant back catalog with choices that range as wide from Kiki's Delivery Service to Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse to Beavis and Butthead Do America and tons of others too. So please check that out today at the premium level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. But yes, uh, this is an interesting culture clash. Also, uh, in this first clip here of Bart reacting to Bullwinkle. Uh-oh, here comes our friend, Bullwinkle J. Moose. <laughs> Bullwinkle's antlers sprung a leak. Uh-oh, looks like old Bullwinkle's kind of got a taste of his own medicine. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly did, Bill. <laughs> Wait, what did that mean? Did what I say make sense? Well, no, not really, Bill. <laughs> Boy, now I know how the pilgrims felt. <laughs> what are you talking about, Bill? <laughs> Who the hell is that? Bullwinkle. Who? Wait a minute. Who's that? Underdog, don't you know anything? Well, I know it wouldn't hurt him to use some cartoons made in the last 50 years. Son, this is a tradition. If you start building a balloon for every flash-in-a-pan cartoon character, you turn the parade into a farce. And then you see the Bart balloon, which made its debut that morning. That morning, yep, ten wow. hours. <laughs> I, I I guess it would be it would have probably been at like ten a.m. or something. And so within twelve hours of this episode airing on the East Coast, the Macy's Parade had shown that balloon. That's amazing. What uh, the planning for that too? Because don't these episodes take like seven months to animate? That they had a, a deal for that and then planned it all out. So uh, I I want to thank the Twitter account that guy three thousand and two. Uh, 
Simpsons historian on Twitter because he, uh, I think, just buys old table read scripts and then notes all the differences on Twitter. And he did a great thread on this episode. And so, yeah, I know thanks to, we know thanks to his thread that the May 15th, 1990 table read script had this joke in it. Hmm. So they must have known then, like, wow. uh, uh, said nine, seven months ahead of time uh, that that would be in the parade. That's amazing. I, you know, when I was watching this episode, I had to pause and go back because when Homer says a farce and then the word farce sounded like Bart to me. <laughs> and because I was looking at Bart and hearing the wor uh, word that sounded like it, I thought he just said the whole parade turns into a Bart. <laughs> well, farce is not a joke. Farce is not a word that Homer should know. Yes. Yeah, I know. It is a little elevated for him. That probably confused me as eight-year-old Zilf because I definitely didn't know what farce meant. I Maybe yeah. I heard it as fart as a kid. <laughs> I know. like, hey, this, that's a good joke. I don't think I even got the joke with Bill and Marty as a kid, but it's one of the funniest jokes in the episode where they go back and evaluate their previous dull commentary. Yes. <laughs> They're noting each other and just... Uh, I like his statement, like, now I know how the pilgrims felt, which means they, he thinks pilgrims didn't know what the hell they were saying. <laughs> uh, I probably loved that joke, though, as a kid because i would have diligently watched the macy's parade that morning only to see the balloons to see the spider-man balloon and then the kermit balloon and then here comes and here comes bart like yeah i and i actually do have a clip if you'd like oh, to hear okay let's the, hear their commentary on this the inane commentary that one willard scott gave on uh, the 1990 morning of thanksgiving world beach florida thank you oh, oh wait hold it we're in big trouble Look out, Mr. Producer. Stand by. Anything could happen. Don't have a cow. But here he is, that irreverent rebel. Debbie, I don't know if I can handle it by myself. There he's here saluting, what is it, the underachievers of the world or that's, something? That's my group. Bart Simpson is one. Hey, man, he is one cool dude cruising down the road. <laughs> with his own band, consort escort, Icaramba. Wow, wow. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, uh, man, he is one cool dude. <laughs> I love hearing Willard Scott telling, hey, man. Who, who uh, was with Willard Scott? I don't. She was very dismissive of the underachievers thing. She yeah. said, all you underachievers are whatever he does. It, it was. It must have been the who, whoever the woman was or one of the women hosting the Today Show. Okay. It was NBC, Katie Couric. Yeah, maybe it was. You know, that did sound like Katie Couric. Okay. Yeah, let's say it was her. But that was Willard, Willard Scott just like him trying to act cool at knowing like, I don't Oh, Bart Simpson, man. Cool, man. <laughs> Bill and Marty's inane commentary was even was was better than Will Willard Scott's. And I looked up online: was the Bullwinkle uh, accident a reference to any other famous Macy's Day blimp accidents or balloon accidents, rather? But there are simply too many yeah. over the years. <laughs> Here's one of those, you know, want to feel old math things. Oh God! Uh, but uh, so the Bullwinkle balloon first appeared in 1961. It actually got retired in '83, so it wasn't even in the '90 parade. But Bullwinkle Balloon was in 61. That was 29 years before this episode aired in 1990. Mm. It is now over 30 years since Bart's Balloon premiered in 1990. So more time is as, is in between that episode premiere and now than the Bullwinkle yeah. Balloon was in that. Wow. Ah, I don't like that one bit. <laughs> I wonder if modern 10-year-olds know who Bart is. Mm, I, 
Tinder. Yeah. Well, they they know him from all the memes. They know him from like the the chair smashing meme. Oh, it's right. Cha- it's Chair Smash Boy from the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I I appreciated that joke that they worked that hard to get in a reference to. Uh, I mean, also that is kind of them like both celebrating themselves and dunking on themselves. Like, yeah, we made it into the parade, but it's actually a sign that the parade is worse because Bart's in it now. I think at this point, a lot of them thought this will just be a fad too. Mm-hmm. So we'll be done with this show in maybe two or three years. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so Maggie makes a dangerous walk upstairs uh, past uh, a bunch of like the, the house has never been messier, which like they're about to have company. They really should have cleaned up more. I love the little scene with Lisa and Maggie like decorating the centerpiece together. How much Lisa like cares about it, how important it is to her. Take, taking that moment to, you know, we wouldn't care like later on when it gets smashed or when she's sad and making Bart apologize. We wouldn't care so much if we hadn't had this moment with her and seeing how much she, how important it is to her. And I always, that's another thing I wonder about with all these like comedy writers writing, you know, a lot of very irreverent jokes in this episode. I also just really like picturing George Meyer scripting the scene where a little girl is proud of her centerpiece and is putting (laughs) a lot of thought into it. And there's really like no jokes for a few seconds what were and it's just sweet and and for meyer too that like he kind of snuck onto dv these very like urbane references of of george o'keefe i i can't i can't imagine any other sitcom in 1990 was making references to george o'keefe <laughs> oh they all were every every channel <laughs> i think marjorie stillman douglas was a hero to him and she's the only one i had to, still had to look up for this recording yeah she was still alive then like she was a yeah. hundred and th- uh she was a hundred when this episode aired i believe she could have watched it uh i wonder if somebody passed it along to her i i also think george meyer you know when you you find out that he's you know not just a harvard grad but also like an eagle scout i bet he made a lot of dioramas like these in his time <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's just it's just a sweet little scene of like, and also Lisa just commentating on how unknown in 1990, like nobody celebrates any of these feminist icons back then, and she's like, yeah, it's a it's a fun it's it's a nice little commentary on the world too. Yeah. Then we get uh, a little sequence of Bart trying to help. I uh, as as a useless boy growing up who couldn't really <laughs> help my mom with things. I I appreciated these jokes too. I think Mom, it's broken should have been on Simpsons Sing the Blues. Yeah. Yeah. An extended cut of that little song. <laughs> I love that song. I, I love, uh, I probably sang that song as well. And I mean, that's the instant kid thing too, to tell your parents like this thing's broken. It's uh, it's not my fault. It's broken. And that, that little sketch he's doing there with the, the cranberry sauce is like, that's another example of it. It's a slightly different tone. It's kind of straightforward and, and it's very relatable. And like you're saying, as a kid, you'd be like, oh, I was like that. And it's this little m- moment that it feels for like a, slightly uh, broader more earnest audience would relate to that and laugh at that and it made me laugh and it's very funny but it, it's interesting for like the same show to deliver you know the the snarkiness of some of the parade jokes or whatever and then to this sort of like very relatable joke about a little boy being no use you can feel them like appealing you're like oh this show is for everybody and everyone can laugh and it's just this long scene of like a mother talking to her son of just like no no there okay and then here nope like it's (laughs) 
uh that many like stage directions like again they wouldn't also the time they take to make you watch the cranberry sauce loop out of it and great sound great, on yeah it great too. fully on that yeah, yeah. so after bart creates cranberry sauce all Bart. he just leaves his mom to the rest of the work and uh then we get a uh maggie then walks into the next room to start the next scene and that's where we find out that homer is uh it's it's their first football gambling joke in the show yes the room uh by their own admission was full of de- degenerate gamblers and to make the day more exciting they would gamble <laughs> on things i think because of the uh the invention of smartphones writers rooms there's less eating and gambling in them hmm. <laughs> i'm curious tim would you say that there's uh, how has uh in, in writers rooms you've, you've been in a few like uh, how have the iphones dealt with like boredom in the writers room at times i've i've always been in rooms where you're allowed to use your phones and you're allowed to get distracted and then you just look like a jerk if you disappear into your phone but a lot of rooms say phones off we're gonna really work 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 but no um i i, I feel i'm like have always have like one eye on the internet and uh have drifted and i I think it would be nice though to be back in the simpsons room in 1990 and actually working hard (laughs) we heard from bill oakley one of the showrunners and later be a writer after this uh that people when you join the simpsons you would gain 50 pounds because all you would do all day is graze because there were no other distractions so you just eat candy all day or eat snacks all day and look forward to lunch as your big treat but now that (laughs) you have smartphones you have something else to do to give yourself like that endorphin rush yeah, for sure. And I've definitely like, I love, it's so rude to, to uh, peek at another writer's laptop or phone and see what they're doing. And, you know, like that is incredibly rude to put your eyes on someone else's screen. But I kind of do love stealing a little peek at another writer and just see what, like I was at Comedy Bang Bang. I sat next to Nick Weiger and he had some like slot machine app where he was just like <laughs> fake gambling all day and then was pitching brilliant ideas and pitching more than me but he's like a high functioning guy so it would just be like he had like three video games going but then also writing a script and also pitching jokes <laughs> uh, some people it helps him it just like kind of keeps him awake did you notice any football gambling still going on in your time there at simpsons Yes. Um, James L. Brooks had a weekly football pool uh, that was like a star-studded bunch of celebs. And I, every Monday morning, would uh, drive like an envelope up to a Beverly Hills mansion to give like Adam Sandler $8,000. Oh my God. <laughs> so wow. Jim Brooks was the ringleader. Wow. Jim, um, w- when I was there, Jim Brooks's assistant was totally like running the whole show as far as the, the football pool. And yeah, it was like, it was all these, uh, uh, I, I want to say like Josh Dumel and just like actors and cool people from showbiz were a part of it. Wow. We've, we've heard on other commentaries about how getting the envelope like is the prize <laughs> enough like i got the envelope i won like wow. i think all of these gambling jokes would end when david merkin took over in seasons five and six but <laughs> everything you see from one to four is based on them being in the writer's room trying to make their days more interesting <laughs> i i love another one where mike reese just shits all over the game because he didn't do, he doesn't care about this football he's like you guys and your football gambling who gives a shit uh but but yes, Homer uh, wants the Dallas Cowboys to lose. In reality, on that day, uh, the Cowboys beat the Washington football team uh, 27 to 17. So Homer lost that bet. Mm. So oh. the spread, too, is something I still kind of don't get. Uh, They're his favorite yeah. team, so he wants them to lose by five and a half points. So I guess he bet on them to lose by that margin. That was what his bet was. And yeah. it, was a, it was a high yeah. bet, I guess. Or it paid back a lot. I guess so. Yeah. I guess that's how yeah. it works. I People hate- will yell at us in the comments. <laughs> 
<laughs> I watched that film Uncut Gems, and I still don't really understand the uh, the the all of those uh, like side bets and prop bet stuff. I'm so I'm not a gambler, and I've never I've never been a part of any of this stuff because I'm also just like winning money is kind of cool, but losing money hurts me way more than, than winning. <laughs> like the good feeling of winning doesn't equal the the harshness of losing money so i've never placed even one dollar on us on a sporting event uh i forgot to mention earlier we saw we saw bill and marty on screen for the first time it's right. not their first appearance but it is their first time on screen and and i also like that these announcers too are just kind of sick of each other as well they're just <laughs> like get on with it like that's what it's i think meyer also says on the commentary that he recognizes this script is one of the like uh, angrier ones and he he says that that's why he started going to therapy not long after this script <laughs> i did feel uh i i loved and i laughed out loud at the harshness of this joke here when uh, a player gets hurt and it's like "Ooh, looks like he'll be uh eating thanksgiving dinner through a tube <laughs> just like to toss that off is light convo uh it, it's such a violent thought i love it and and the other guys just try actually it feels now that we're discussing it it actually feels like a mocking of the writer's room because that guy throws out a joke and then the other guy is like oh they can fit a turkey in there and he's like shut <laughs> up like he's he's dumping on the guy trying to add on to his joke <laughs> lots of announcer humor in this episode yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. uh and so uh homer is diligently watching marge i like homer's delivery too on when marge asks him to go pick up grandpa and he's like halftime marge halftime uh but yes patty and selma arrive and i know this scene because it's like the first time patty and selma have ever been mean to marge they've mm. always up to this point they're rude to homer but they're supportive of marge just leaving homer it's not like they say marge you're great but they do say you're too good for homer but this time when they arrive with their own meals like that is them negging marge like they're telling marge you suck i think it's because mom is going to be there Oh, and that changes I the see. dynamic that's just my own uh, headcanon i guess i like that and uh me and bob were talking about this beforehand but uh before recording with it it's such a 70s like this is about a 70s thanksgiving yeah yeah uh, like w w patty and selma's dishes are 70s party food dishes swedish meatballs oh, yeah, and swedish meatballs that's such a <laughs> classic betty crocker type of thing <laughs> and like trout almondine which is just like well it's just like a pan fried fish like it's just it's a very fancy i looked at the recipe i was like I've, I've made this before just with different sauces uh but yeah i i love how hurt marge is she's like you knew i was making the turkey but uh homer then walks by them and heads on his way out i i love this exchange for him like this is a different dynamic with homer and the twins still here because this is them being lightly nice to each other's faces and then instantly um complaining about them away but soon enough they would just be homer in the they just became a more normal sitcom thing of yelling insults at each other to their face yeah just right. insincerity up front and then the backstabbing when they leave <laughs> i love homer's version of their voices in the car it's it's so subtle where he's just kind of like rrr, rrr, rrr. he doesn't <laughs> fully do an impression of them it's just sort of this half grumble uh dan does such a good job there yeah actually i i have that clip right here as <laughs> as homer uh goes on a drive and enjoys listening to the halftime show well it's good to see you well gotta pick up my old man bye so insincere i don't know how she puts up with him <laughs> and now, 
get set for our fabulous halftime show, featuring the well-groomed young go-getters of Hooray for Everything. Oh, I love those kids. They've got such a great attitude. Ladies and gentlemen, Hooray for Everything invites you to join them in a salute to the greatest hemisphere on Earth, the Western Hemisphere, the dancingest hemisphere of all. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to hear all that song. I think you're starting to like I it. Lo- yeah, it's so great. It's so funny that uh, that Homer is a fan of Hooray for Everything and that like him get getting into it when it, it cuts to the outside of the car and he's flashing his lights. And I feel like they they did that later with him being like USA USA or something. But just like the idea that Homer expresses his happiness <laughs> with his car lights. This is uh, the Homer that is slightly out of date. The early Homer where he likes Mambo. He's not the Homer that grew up with classic rock of the '70s quite yet. So he yeah, he is the right. '70s or '60s dad who enjoys the wholesome kids as the alternative to rock and roll. But Henry did a ton of research on Up with people which is what this is a parody of this reference is lost the time but henry please a lot of great information about this yeah so um since we we they make fun of up with people so many times because uh like they're a specific target of george meyer and i i i understand why they're a wonderful target plus he even says on the commentary like his sister nancy was was a member of up with people uh, for a time and uh, that's a different sister than the one that married john Vitti. uh but so the I, I learned all about this finally from watching a documentary that's just on Vimeo uh, called Smile Till It Hurts about uh, the Up With People groups. Like it is a Christian cult or was <laughs> wow. uh, that was created. It's uh, its roots are in the 1950s anti-communist movement. Like it was a Red Scare group uh, with and their aim basically was co-opt youthful sentiments of like revolution and counterculture and all that take those and then say you're doing it for america and america's great and and we're the young people who want to set america straight and you have these clean cut people they also are a very white organization but the uh few diverse people they had in there they put them right in the front row Mm. and they'd say how everything's fine it's great (laughs) hooray like and they were for years uh part uh they were supported by every evil republican of the 50s to 70s giving them millions and millions of dollars they were basically like the you know the coke brother stuff that happens today that was uh up with people hmm. back then and then and that also that included the guy who ran the nfl then in the 70s and 80s he was a big believer in up with people being this like anti-hippie anti um progressive progressive movement and he would just uh, he would give them the super bowl halftime shows like they did five different super bowl halftime wow. shows okay i didn't wow. know this from from 10 to 20 and by 20 they got made fun of so much that uh which was 1986 that one they were mocked so much that the nfl finally went like we have to have something hipper than this like we can't we can't keep having up with people (laughs) man i didn't know i'm not a huge nfl guy and i didn't really know that that the super bowl halftime show wasn't always earth's biggest pop star it's so quaint (laughs) to think of it being this like silly little christian group at the at the super bowl uh they and yeah it sounded it sounded cult-like too where these people had to like if you were a member of it one you paid them to be of it in yeah. it. they didn't pay you and and also uh. uh like they told stories of like well i 
I got, I lost my job as lead singer because I married somebody without the boss's approval of who I chose to marry. Like, and, oh boy. yeah. And full of, there's a very funny person in the documentary who, uh, very entertaining. He was a member in 1980 who, uh, he was a closeted gay man. And he mentions that like every guy there was a closeted gay <laughs> man pretty much because it was a Christian group where young men went to sing and wear colorful outfits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah if you want to see some of the real corniness that this is mocking look up the super bowl 10 halftime hmm. show and you'll see uh them talking about the celebrating the western hemisphere like it's not that far from the reality of that it. feels insidious <laughs> and one thing i want to point out is whenever you hear a non-simpsons voice actor in a non-guest role it always stands out to me so that radio announcer not a regular you'll hear him a few more times in this episode that is greg berg and i want to say that he was used to fill in for hank Azaria when he wasn't available so he would do the temp track for things but then perhaps Hank Azaria didn't show up or he wasn't available or he was sick so you'll hear him as an announcer you'll hear him as the second homeless man with Dan Casaneda and you'll hear him playing Lou with his voice coming out of Eddie in the wow. third act you're right Hank Azaria mm. I don't think he talks at all in this he doesn't one. he is not yeah. in this episode so wow. I know so that is Greg Berg by the way doing these voices he will be uh, he'll, appearing throughout season two he comes back in season eight I think he is just his voice is on the temp track we couldn't get whoever does this voice so Greg Berg can do it he also is the stand-in for Kelsey Grammer at Table Reads for Sideshow Bob episodes uh. so previously I said it was Greg Berger it's actually Greg Berg they're both <laughs> voice actors yeah they're 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 both Saturday morning you know legends like yeah uh, Greg Berg is the original Donatello. And uh, Baby Fozzie on Muppet Babies, the original Baby <laughs> Fozzie. So there you have it. You'll hear him a few times, but yeah, you're so used to the flavor of the the core six voices that when a new one enters the mix, you're like, who is this? What are you doing? Uh, where is Hank Azaria? Not in this episode. I like Greg Berg's voice a lot. Like, they could have kept using him just as a, I mean, he's not, Hank Azaria is like a comedy genius and a great voice actor. I wouldn't say Greg Berg's better than him, but to s switch up the voices, like, it's nice. Yeah, I, like I assume this was like during his uh, earlier years in Hollywood, he was probably doing a lot of pilots. He might have been, you know, researching the role for Herman's Head he would appear <laughs> on in a few years. <laughs> yeah, I think he did years and years of research for that. Yes. <laughs> now, that I, character, what was his name again? Uh, Steve? I don't know. The it, horny guy. Uh, it, right, man. Uh, what would you call? I'd, I'd guess like uh, Steve or like Tom. That would probably be the horny friend. The funny friend in a 90s sitcom. Uh, well, I think it's, it is funny to think for a time that Hank Azaria, like, I think he viewed I've, I've seen him say this in interviews. I think at the time he viewed Simpsons as like, well, this is a nice little thing I do, but soon I'm going to be the star of a sitcom and I'll have no time for the Simpsons. Like he I, He was in fierce competition with Matthew Perry for a lot of his uh, earlier years right uh, yeah like Matthew Perry was his best friend and they thought they'd be on friends together and wow. and not getting it he talked uh, there's I think it was his WTF interview he was uh, talked about that it was hard for him for a while to deal with the fact that his best friend was Matt Perry and his girlfriend and then wife uh was Helen Hunt Helen Hunt and they both are becoming giant stars and uh he was feeling inadequate to them he said he's he's doing much better now but uh, and he was very nice to us I don't I don't know if you've you've ever met Hank Azaria uh, Tim no I get to I watched him in records and marbles but I've never I never got to talk to him oh. he, he felt like one of those guys who was when I was there he was definitely like busy like uh mm -hmm. sometimes he'd be over the phone or or you know sometimes he'd be like coming from another job but he was definitely a mover and a shaker uh, but man the great 
Greg Berg, he's still, I, I'm surprised, uh, you know, he's, he's still at it. He still, he voices a Ninja Turtle every now and then when there's like a reunion thing. It's great. I, oh, sorry. There was one last thing I want to say about <laughs> Up With People, uh, which is that Glenn Close was a member of it, like in the 50s or 60s. It's uh, in that wow. documentary. I showed it to Bob. Yeah. In the documentary, they have footage of her like, it's Glenn Close from Greenwich, Connecticut. And just her saying, I'm in Up With People because it'll uh, help America or whatever. She said something very milk toast. I apparently she is not a fan of of uh, people remembering. That. No, no. <laughs> uh, but yes, that hooray for everything will appear more than once uh, in the series. But this is their first one, and and also that song "Get Dancing" by Disco Tech disco techs and the sexolettes uh that's the name of the song it's a disco classic i will actually be talking about it soon enough in a season 12 episode really uh yes in the praise land episode disco stew gets his vision of heaven and when he goes to heaven there's i didn't know i i had forgotten that bit too i had to look it up it's one simpsons is the main bit of information on the wiki page for get dancing (laughs) that is true it's a big paragraph on there (laughs) that's amazing because i do feel like i hear i mean i definitely recognize the song and was like oh is this some big hit but yeah it's it's a good song i like it uh and homer he picks up abe uh there's some funny signs uh, you know thank you for not discussing the outside world i like that sign gag and it is just an incredibly sad and depressing <laughs> retirement ho- home like I like the sick coughing in the background oh yeah <laughs> this was definitely the uh, felt like the other har- harshest moment of like people faxing in their well wishes to people and it just be like that must have shocked people in 1990 to watch this episode and be like, "Ouch, we are <laughs> laughing at what it's like to be in a retirement home." These these poor people who the 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 extra sadness of it. That woman who's like in tears that she's like, "I knew they wouldn't forget." <laughs> like that that's how low the bars for like the facts makes her cry in a positive way. It's and Homer. So that's how starved she is for any attention from her family. And Homer just shouting in front of all these people. This is the depressing. <laughs> I can't be here anymore. <laughs> this place is depressing. Oh, I love that. <laughs> then we get another first for the episode. Now, she had appeared in a dream sequence flashback that March had in Moaning Lisa. Right, but it was just her legs or something, right? You know, you do see her face, but it's just they drew Marge's face okay. with different Okay, yeah, you're right, you're yeah. right, yeah. But, uh, but this is the non-dream first appearance of Marge's mother, who I... I still don't think has a name other than Mrs. Bouvier. Oh, Jack, like, Jackie. Oh, okay, she's named after did. Kennedy's uh, wife they when he was killed. They went all the way with it. Yeah, because I, I I remember in the episode where she dates Abe that he just calls her Mrs. Bouvier the entire time. I but. think they might have forgotten her name, but yeah, named after <laughs> uh, President Kennedy's widow later, Jackie Onassis. Her her maiden name is Bouvier, and she's rarely seen. And when she does, she rarely speaks. So she's only made uh, speaking appearances in four episodes since Fear of Flying. If you remember, in Fear of Flying, it was the flashback of. Marge seeing that her father was a uh, flight attendant. Yes. And her mom was in a few of those flashbacks. Mm. The the mom is a very James Brooks character too. Like this, they don't explore uh, the jokes in this episode about Marge's relationship with her mom. Seems to tell you that Marge has a mo- a very withholding mother who has never until given her a compliment, and Marge has always tried to be good enough for it. like that. That's what's implied in her first line of telling her like you never do anything right. But <laughs> but they kind of drop that for pretty much all their other inter- interactions. Yeah, I don't really know that it really feels totally right for Marge. When I when I think of the uh, the character, 
she doesn't have that thing, you know, like people who were raised by withholding parents tend to then like need to prove so much of the world. And then they're really driven or something like that. And I, I always just think of Marge as kind of a content homemaker. Hmm. Um, so it, it doesn't totally ring true. I don't know. I guess her, her one joke gimmick would be, I have laryngitis, so I'll just say this one thing and always <laughs> it's just a super negative thing. But I don't know how <laughs> long that possible. joke. Yeah. I don't know how long, how long that joke could have carried, you know, multiple appearances. And I don't think, I don't think Julie Kavner liked doing the voice. I mean, it's, it's such an extreme voice here. Actually, I've got her first line here. Mom, you made it. How are you? I have laryngitis and it hurts to talk. So I'll just say one thing. You never do anything right. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess the the joke, maybe they even made it a joke that how much uh, she hates to do that voice is that they make it a hard <laughs> voice to talk. <laughs> I think also from a writing perspective, characters that speak slowly, they really fill up a page. They really they really fill up your time there. So it's hard to have a lot of dialogue with this character. There's a lot of ellipses on the page. <laughs> I, I also, I do like the joke that she, just as a way to show her character very early, the taxi arrives and the guy is helping her out and she takes the long way around to refuse help from someone. Mm, like, okay. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a good little character thing. All these, but again, all these characteristics that definitely feel like stuff at, like straight out of terms of endearment honestly. yeah like, uh, these this kind of mother-daughter interaction that they don't really spend any time on with her i mean they're they're not that interested in marge's background uh too often in the show like they for years they joked that they'd say how her father died and uh it was a very i think it was like in the 20s seasons that they finally said it was from lung cancer right yeah i guess uh in one of the comic books or something they joked that he died on a roller coaster or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah, I remember that it was in Simpsons Illustrated. They they have like Lisa says, ever since grandpa's untimely roller coaster accident, hmm. that was them like workshopping jokes that were in the writer's room that uh that then wouldn't make it into an actual script. I remember when I worked at Gracie Films, there's always these needs for Simpsons related things, whether it's books or, you know, a, a commercial. And when I was there, the big thing was a the ride, the Universal Studios Simpsons ah. ride was being written. And it was interesting to see that they did usually get real writers to head up those projects. And it would be this separate thing through Gracie Films, but they would make sure to get some of the writers involved. And it was all, almost sort of like, a, a weird little pet project where it's like because they didn't want to if it was books or whatever they didn't want to have it be an, a voice outside of the show but it wasn't worth like bothering the showrunner for so a lot of those books and things i saw them kind of come and go with maybe one writer would be shepherding them hmm. yeah you made me just think that uh when you were there they were working on the show the movie the ride and probably the video game too because that had writers on yep. it as well yeah and i saw there were little uh breakout rooms for it all and i mean it's it's crazy because those are all huge projects on their own but um they it would just be sort of you know a series of meetings that were tagged on to the end of the day for a little breakout room of writers to go the crazy thing is so much of that stuff video games and rides require so much writing that not even everybody sees you know like video games you write a lot of things that the player might not get to or on a ride you have to put all these different jokes on different screens so they had to they had to crank out so many alternate jokes for every single thing i don't know how you balance that with making a tv show at the same time man you you were there at like what had to be the <laughs> busiest year the show ever had 
and it really was it's like a big explosion but i want to say like maybe that maybe there was a little bit of cynicism in the air because of that like and maybe that's what mm. i picked up on is sort of just like here we go we're doing all this shit and i <laughs> and it's a lot of stuff and we're cashing in so like it, it felt very busy but I didn't really, I didn't get the sense of like everyone being very excited about all those projects, but but that they were happening. Did did you get to go to the opening of the ride? I did. And I love oh, the ride. Wow. And, and I was, uh, I never, I'm a huge Back to the Future fan, but I never got to ride the ride when it was Back to the Future. Oh, no. So it was a nice fresh take for me. A lot, a lot of people around me were kind of, com- couldn't help but compare and contrast it with Back to the Future. I liked it. Yeah. You know, for me and Bob, we're also both big Back to the Future fans. We, we had ridden that ride. I missed that ride and I'm very sad that a simpsons for a simpsons ride to exist a back to the future ride had to go away like i i yeah, wish they could coexist sad. they couldn't bulldoze the water world section <laughs> that's of one universal of, that's still well not in the last year but yeah. that was still one of their biggest things like people uh, no one gives a shit about water world but they love that stunt i show. think we'll see some cuts soon <laughs> uh, but yeah so we come back to the home maggie is watching the halftime show as homer comes back with with abe uh, there is a quick joke about the Pontiac Silverdome, which in the time between record our us doing this the first time, uh, the, it has been fully demolished. Oh, they, wow. The games had stopped there, but it's been demolished. And I know it, of course, as the home of WrestleMania three in 1987. <laughs> is that the Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan fight? That is. Wow, yes, that's, big, how did I know that? <laughs> it's the biggest WrestleMania of all time. That's why I know it. Yeah. And yeah, again, we talk about the slow pacing and no jokes like March just walks through a room mm-hmm. and walks back out of it and i guess i guess there's jokes with the with the announcer talking about how the flash photography won't work in the stadium is, yeah, that, is that basically just what's happening I guess in the background so. yeah that's all it is yeah uh, it feels like it was added after the fact just because there was nothing happening but nobody seems to care yeah <laughs> it's time for dinner and lisa has her centerpiece in this next clip dinner dinner time everybody dinner the hell with it <laughs> Okay, Lisa, we're ready for your centerpiece. (gasps) Lisa, my goodness, that's very impressive. Holy moly, that's the biggest one of those I ever saw. Mm. I always said she was gifted. Definitely from our side of the family, right, Mom? Leave me alone. (laughs) How long did that take you, honey? I couldn't tell you how many hours. It was a labor of love. It's my homage to some American heroes who may not have fought in any wars, but who nevertheless... Speaking of heroes, here's mine. Tom Turkey! <laughs> I First off, I want to say, the way Homer says, to hell with this, like, I think I've said it in that tone many <laughs> times in my life. Anytime I'm fed up with doing something, I say it the way Homer says it. <laughs> did you guys the specific of centerpieces in in your homes growing up on thanksgiving was there like a cornucopia or something in the middle of the table because i don't think my family ever ever made a big big deal out of a centerpiece no, no at best there would have already been plastic flowers on the table or something <laughs> at my grandma's there was no uh, special thanksgiving centerpiece right well it was rare my family did an extended family thanksgiving anyway but i but also i had a my close friend in high school he did have a big big extended family that all all lived there and uh in the in the same town so they'd have a big meal every thanksgiving like and i mean like 40 people in the house kind of thing but yeah they never really did a centerpiece either actually I also like the bit that like Marge, Marge and Homer, they're really stressed out because their parents are treating them like children too. Like it, Marge is uh, already being 
put back into her her place as a kid with her mom being very withholding and here's homer trying to do something and all his father can do is tell him like you're doing that wrong <laughs> it's uh i i definitely think meyer's making a statement about like well thanksgiving sucks because everybody is treated horribly in it and it's just... you can never escape your trauma <laughs> It's, and it's generational trauma passed down next to each other all day. And it probably still like at, in 1990, it's still kind of novel to just see a Thanksgiving that wasn't perfect. Because I mean, I guess we had like National Lampoon movies and stuff like that in the 80s. But for the most part, I, I feel like a lot of TV through through the 80s would have still been like Thanksgiving is this wonderful, sacred thing. Mm -hmm. And then it's sort of like Simpsons and Married with Children are the first time people are like seeing dysfunctional families. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're doing it. It did kick off with two very depressing holiday episodes, Christmas and this. Yes. Just very yeah. dark things happen <laughs> on the wrong side uh, of the tracks. I I also love uh, Marge's mom going like, leave me alone. <laughs> like she... <laughs> And I'd never heard, I never recognized Lisa using the word. I, I thought it was, you know, pr I've heard it pronounced homage, but she says homage. homage. But Either way's fine. Now that's just, I mean, now it's just a term, a comedy term of just saying like, no, I'm not stealing. It's an homage. Like, <laughs> but she, and oh, and Bart actually in an homage to 20th Century Fox, he's doing the fanfare as he presents the turkey. I love that. That was a good little wink. And, uh, and yes, this is when uh, all hell breaks loose and Bart ruins thanksgiving in this next clip yikes what is that it's the centerpiece bart well it's taking up valuable real estate <laughs> hey bart stop it move it or lose it toots mom now just a minute i'm sure there's room for both <laughs> bart you're wrecking it let's go i worked forever on this <laughs> to go and send up the pumpkin pie in about 20 minutes. I said no! Mom, do I have to? Yes, you do. I hope you're happy, Bart. You ruined Thanksgiving! There's the line for the commercial. Mm. <laughs> Great act break. Uh, oh boy, I mean, that is such an amazing screen from Yardley Smith. I played it back twice when I was watching this for the show, for mm -hmm. the for the research. It's a incredible, incredible screen. Yeah. That line, um, you don't you don't even care. You don't even care. That really gets me because it's like I feel like the way most people would write this scene or just a lesser TV show would be like she's just mad about her centerpiece. But I love like Lisa's smart enough that like she's so. That's what gets her the most is that her brother, who she loves, doesn't even care that he made her sad. And that's what hurts her. And it's like, mm. oof, that's a real that, that line really cuts me. I can't believe that's coming from uh, just like a wacky little cartoon. Yeah, Lisa Yardley, when she's given a, a real emotion to play, she's so good at it with, with Lisa, just her, her scream of agony. And yeah, that the, you don't even care like that. It says so much like she's she's angry, but she's also being introspective like the total opposite of bart who he does a bad thing and his instant reaction to it is like what 
what did I do? Yeah. I actually did a good thing. Like he's he is in complete denial while mm-hmm. Lisa is already turning it inward, her anger. Yeah. yeah, he's all surface. And then she so quickly is thinking about her relationship with her brother is the problem. It's awful. <laughs> uh, and, the, and the lighting too, like the green light that comes out of it and the shot of Lisa as she screams, like it's like that could be on a poster. I love that <laughs> shot. Like, uh, and, uh, and Bart's reaction to it saying bitches apparently that was a fight with the network to get it, uh, them to be allowed to have Bart say bitchin'. He said bitchin' previously this season when uh, during the fire uh, during the Halloween episode when oh, uh, Homer right. summoned the aliens by putting too much uh, lighter fluid on the fire, right? Yeah, you know what? Maybe they're remembering that previous bitchin' fight and then after winning that one, they're like, we're gonna say it in Thanksgiving too. <laughs> Bart says bitchin' when he sees fire now. <laughs> it taught me that phrase as a kid. I didn't know. I, I don't know if that's an okay word, uh, if, if uh, that has more negative connotations now even because uh, you know it's bitch but it's, it's positive uh, yeah it means it's a good thing we should uh, bring that back i like <laughs> i like bitching it's like it's like a fun it seems so harmless and yeah so the goes to commercial break with uh th- bart ruining thanksgiving it comes back there's smoke coming out of the chimney because the centerpiece was burned uh homer then gives one of his an early runner in these times i think it's still stuck around of homer starting a prayer that ends with him just sobbing to god and hating his family <laughs> him talking directly to god and gossiping with god would continue through the series yeah for sure. yeah like the uh re- in season 12 he has a prayer wondering how many guys maude is fucking in heaven yes <laughs> that many huh well here's a line i always misheard when uh, i'll play it really quickly here but what selma says it never sounds like what she says to me and lord we're especially thankful for nuclear power the cleanest safest energy source there is except for solar, which is just a pipe dream. Anyway, we'd like to thank you for the occasional moments of peace and love our families experience. Well, not today. Well, you saw what happened. Oh, Lord, be honest. Are we the most pathetic family in the universe or what? Amen. Worst prayer yet. So I always heard that as her saying, where's Prairie at? I totally... (laughs) So what did you think that meant? I assumed that there was a... uh, That it was a reference to some character in a book I'd never heard of (laughs) called Prairie at. And she's saying where's prairie and that was like her nickname for lisa that was how i uh. always until <laughs> frankiac and i could see that it said because i never put on the closed captions for this or the subtitles i always thought it was where's prairie not worst prayer yet that was on my lisa t-shirt where's prairie <laughs> wait season one had where's that bart and this this episode has where's prairie yet okay i like it sorry tim it's such a kid thing to just accept words that make no sense to you like i think about that with so many song lyrics and and movie lines and stuff is like when you're a kid you are very accustomed to hearing things that make no sense to you. So you're just like, okay, where's Prairie at? I guess that's what she mm-hmm. said. And as an adult, you'd be like, no, if I don't understand words, I must be hearing them wrong. <laughs> uh, in your 20s, I think is when you shed a lot of those things where you just repeat a thing or like a lie your parents told you as a kid. And as you're telling it to friends in your 20s, you then go like, wait, no, that's a lie. No. <laughs> Why am I saying this? <laughs> 
And then as she says, worst prayer yet, I love the shot of them looking at the ceiling as uh, hearing Lisa playing her sack, sadly. It's also like these are scenes they rarely do, too, of just Marge and Lisa interacting and her comforting her. And this this very sad thing of like Lisa's like new to being disappointed while Marge is like kind of hardened to it. Like she says, like yeah. things like this always happen in our family. I've noticed that, too. Like she's Marge <laughs> is uh, she's seen it all at this point, sadly. <laughs> i like marge comforting her and it also lisa doesn't even demand an apology from bart it's it's marge who wants it which she should like bart was bad it's only his fault and he did he did that in that particular moment made thanksgiving worse like it could you say he ruined thanksgiving i don't know but he he made it worse at that moment i think so i definitely uh, i and i identify as a kid who was like a little stinker yeah. uh, uh, i definitely i love that in that moment bart isn't just being like cruel to be cruel it's like it's about attention and he's like look at the turkey and i am and saving the day and it's just like he in in that moment he wasn't trying to be awful but it was just about like i'm the funny one and i did <laughs> even watching it at 37 i did like made my cheeks a little red just being like oh i'm kind of like that <laughs> <laughs> no yeah i i grew up i was eight then my brother was six and I can see it now as us getting in fights about this. Mm. Like my job is to present the Turkey. And now my brother is taking attention from me again by having the set. If he had the centerpiece, night of the Turkey, I would have had Bart's reaction of like this. This is taking attention away from me. The star of this <laughs> with the Turkey. I'm the protagonist of this family. Yeah. <laughs> It's so funny that you're showboating just for your family. It's like, it's not like your cool friends around. It's just like, I wanted to get attention from mom and dad while I, <laughs> I put this turkey on the table. Ooh, this really played well with mom. <laughs> yeah, I'm killing with mom. Uh, but, uh, but Bart won't apologize in this next clip. Bart, you can come down to dinner as soon as you're ready to apologize to your sister. And it's going to be a real apology in front of everybody, and you have to mean it. Apologize for what? Clearing the table? Having a sense of humor? They think they can start an apology out of me? Ha! Again, from a selfish little kid perspective, that is a very understandable reaction to yeah. being told to apologize. But I've also seen adults act like this because a lot oh, of this sure. is about Bart learning uh, what empathy is and how to have it. And uh, people that don't learn that, uh, who I've dealt with in life, where if they'll do something hurtful to you, you'll point that out. And now it's suddenly about your being mean to them by pointing it out. It's mm -hmm. uh, a real uh, childish thing that Bart does, but I, adults do it all the time. It's an easy trick. They didn't learn the lesson at the end of this episode. No, no. They, they just, they start with the Bart lesson in the middle like yeah everybody keeps asking him to apologize enough is enough <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I also do like the design on they kind of drop this too of like Bart's messy room and the all the toys in the hallway like that it's that, a lot of things to draw I think yes yeah that's true it at least makes it easier on them but uh but yes just like in the telltale head episode Bart escapes through his window and runs away uh down the tree and they also bring in Santa's little helper connecting it to their other holiday episode of uh of the Xmas one hmm. so it's uh i i like them fighting over the turkey leg together too that's cute but um but yes bart runs off and very quickly ends up at mr burns's home 
uh, which is on the corner of uh, Croesus and Mammon, Croesus and Mammon. That they're biblical references to greed. I, I know that much. Uh, but yes, I I love the design. Uh, cartoon food looks so tasty to me. It's true, and, and they were uh, very Burns obsessed in this era, so they had to find a way to work Mr. Burns into this family focused <laughs> episode, and it works. I think it works. Bart walks by Burns's house. What's Burns up to on Thanksgiving Day? <laughs> I uh, I mean, also just Burns eating five bites of it. I I do like Myers talking about like just this wastefulness of a rich guy who lives in a mansion and has a Thanksgiving meal just for himself, won't share it with anyone, and throws it all away. He's still not cool enough to Smithers, though. He actually compliments Smithers on his food. You know what? You're right. He should, despite throwing <laughs> most of it away. <laughs> That's right. He he, out, he tells me outstrips yourself in succulents, which is funny words. But but yeah, you know, by the end of this season, he'd be saying coffee's too hot and throwing it in in Smithers' <laughs> face. Like, uh, I was surprised. Um, I because I haven't revisited the very early seasons in a long time. I feel like I've just heard a lot that like oh when conan got there he really started to give mr burns a lot of the old timiness and 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 that's when mr burns really started to take shape with his funny references so even just that the use of the word succulents there and stuff i was like oh that's very burnsy and and a funny word word choice that i didn't really realize that they had were writing his voice that clearly already by season two yeah you know on the conan thing i i see it now we we all heard the stories of like conan he's the secret sauce of all these seasons and it's i think conan was one of the best writers they ever had but he was more like he was jumping on the moving train and helping it go faster yeah. i guess and he was for a very right. bad metaphor i did he there. was there for 18 months too as <laughs> yes, well yeah. there's yeah, actually it's just too much fun to just take a famous guy and be like oh he's their secret weapon when it's it's like no he's a, he's a smart funny guy who saw what these other geniuses were doing and was able to shovel some coal into the engine yeah yeah <laughs> it was in my mind so i looked it up there's a much different scene in the trouble with trillions in season nine where smithers does make burns food and he just says he just says i hope you enjoy it sir and uh, burns gets mad that he's looking for a compliment he's like i'm choking it down isn't that enough <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and then smithers says i don't know why i even bother oh, i love that <laughs> so uh he would get much meaner to smithers in the future uh you know all the the urbane references to lay Miz and and all that i did not get as a kid but even as a kid i could laugh at the the sadness of burns having i could notice the joke is that burns has all of this food and he won't share it with his guards who are eating tv dinners while working on thanksgiving day <laughs> like uh do the, we know is there like a specific burn i know that like we'll eventually have burns reference howard hughes or or um hearst or Citizen Kane and stuff like that. But did they ever say like, is there a specific grumpy old lonely billionaire that they originally based Burns on? Well, I, I've said it before on here, but I do know to a degree in seasons one and two, especially Burns was inspired by Barry Diller, the then owner of the Fox network or the president wow. of it, uh, who uh, was a cantankerous old man who, uh, though he's gay and Burns is not gay, though I think that might also be the where the Smithers jokes come mm. from as well, uh. I think so. Yeah, I, I thought in terms of attitude, he was uh, very much based on Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm, I see that for sure, yeah. <laughs> and also, well, speaking of the Burns and Smithers relationship, when you see these guards here, it reminds me of like, by the end of season two, everyone else who could do a job for Mr. Burns all just disappear and Smithers does everything. <laughs> he would inherit all of these jobs. <laughs> like, there's there's no security guards. If Okay, if they need to hire 
hire goons, Burns will hire goons because Smithers can't like physically assault someone. But other than that, <laughs> Smithers, if someone's going to release the hounds, it's Smithers doing it, not a bunch of the guards at base command here. I love that. That is so funny that a billionaire is still just has a staff of one. <laughs> it is still uh, cooling a pie on a windowsill. Yes. Uh, Technology has not improved. And and also when they spot Bart, I love that uh, there's this beautiful statue that just has a giant gaudy surveillance camera right on top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, the hounds are released. That had happened before in the series, but we never saw the hounds before. So this is the first time on screen we've seen the the hounds of Burns. And a great action scene. The, the shot, I love the background of the, the dogs as they're running in that bar. It's very anime. <laughs> I wonder if it's anime inspired. Yeah. Just the, the the abstract background as they're rushing towards him. Is the 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 line release the hounds, that also feels, that must be a, a reference to something very specific, right? Is that just something old-timey people said or what there must have been some guy that released hounds in an old movie or something and you know i i can't think of a specific it does seem like a thing like ebenezer scrooge would do or whatever but <laughs> yeah. yeah i can't i think it was uh, my guess is that it just came from like in the no disgrace like home episode they just wanted to end a scene with burn saying if you don't leave now leave yeah. now or i'll release the hounds and yeah. from there they're like oh him saying release the hounds is really funny like <laughs> like on the simpsons sing the blues album his song is about releasing the hounds <laughs> on people <laughs> it is a very fun expression i agree <laughs> uh to the point where the hounds will be a, a important plot element in season three episode where uh where burns is uh burns adopts and his little helper he, to be one of those hounds he does he becomes a hound <laughs> uh but yes bart escapes through the hedge wall narrowly burns very happily is going to murder a child on thanksgiving day too i like that in, <laughs> in another show he'd be like oh this poor child wants food on thanksgiving and then, but here it's like kill him and he warms the billionaire's heart <laughs> yeah. uh then meanwhile lisa has uh, her own version of Howl, the Allen Ginsberg poem in this next quick clip. I saw the best meals of my generation destroyed by the madness of my brother. My soul carved in slices by spiky-haired demons. I do like the show Sympathy for Lisa, but they also point out she's being a little extra, you know, because <laughs> she's writing a, a poem about her pain and then she later recites it to the family mm-hmm. it's, yeah. true. it's a bit irritating right. she, she is going too far with it even though she was wronged and i yeah. love i was thinking um just referencing howell and alan Gin, alan ginsburg like i had to i recognized the line and i was like where's that from where's that from and i had to google it to to place it and i just like i love just putting that out there knowing that a lot of people are not going to get that reference but just knowing for the, for the people that do that uh it places uh Lisa in such like a literate crowd that is so fun. In at the height of Bart Mania, when their their primary audience is children, they they yeah. put in a reference to you know uh, gay beat poets, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and Meyer says that he had heard from a friend of Allen Ginsberg that he was tickled at this reference hmm. on The Simpsons to his to his wow. poem, which that's uh, that's very sweet. And also back then it was they stuck in all these jokes behind Lisa, including her end apartheid now South Africa poster, which was I, I think by the end of season two, apartheid had ended, or maybe season three. Around that, yeah. It was yeah. put in by Macaraning at his insistence to uh have the political message in the <laughs> I show. I like that. I like that. 
and uh, and also though speaking of how like long scenes lisa's sitting at her desk writing and it's just a shot of her writing for like 20 seconds like that also they would not do a shot that long <laughs> and and also like it reminded me of uh in bart the genius bart writes with a in a very similar pose for a long time yeah we just revisited season one last year and there's a lot of extended letter writing scenes that i think they learned was not very interesting to watch as a cartoon a character sitting down to write a letter I wonder like how once they've learned to not do that anymore, what are the tricks in their little toolbox for getting around that when it's like, okay, somebody's writing a letter. Is, is it just now we're going to dissolve to like their face and their hands and make it look, look more dynamic? Or do they just say like, no more letters, guys? <laughs> <laughs> or you'll just hear the end of the letter and then they just yeah. stuff it in an envelope and walk off the screen. I mean, earlier, I think on the commentary, uh, they mentioned that they felt bad that they would write extended things like Homer listens to the radio. And then the animators have to find out what to do with that scene. Mm. And Homer is very funny in that scene but a lot of it is just him like wiggling his fingers as he listens to the music <laughs> bobbing his head up and down it's a funny set of drawings but yeah it is i uh, for the longest time I've, I've felt bad for the simpsons animators who often just get handed a script but like you figure it out guys uh, i do love how they can i mean sometimes i'm looking at homer when he's doing nothing and his eyes will get just get that extra kind of dumb look when his like pupils are kind of small and he's just not doing anything and they can get a laugh out of me just looking at a character that i've looked at for <laughs> a million hours and then i'll laugh when he's doing absolutely nothing i i miss when they would do like in these episodes they do like an eyes the eyes would bulge on a word just for emphasis yeah. like they mm -hmm. these little things that are lost over time i, I miss them uh, and so uh, then Bart decides he's going to cross uh, instantly over the tracks into Bumtown, <laughs> uh, also seen in the season seven Itchy and Scratchy episode. Uh, but uh, there's there's some really funny signings. I like that at the massage parlor, they put ironic quotes on the word massage. Mm. I like that a lot. <laughs> i and, didn't notice that that's great and uh and also they have a sign that says we yes we have rot gut which <laughs> is uh i'd never heard of rot gut before but it's it's a powerful low quality liquor that is called such because it it is very strong and cheap but it fucks you up uh, like uh in it your, your, your stomach it, right, yeah. and also in the background i believe the tuxedo store has closed no <laughs> i missed that one. <laughs> that that's was a good great. very subtle joke oh, i love that <laughs> Uh, but uh, but Bart sells his blood here, which George Meyer tells the story of trying to sell his blood and finding out he couldn't. Uh, they took me in off the streets to sell a plasma. I don't know oh, what George yeah. Meyer's deal was. He could have looked like a hippie or something. <laughs> there, I, he he was like a deadhead, right? Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Maybe mm. he was in. Maybe they don't like hippie blood. <laughs> well, I will say uh, this. Get me get me on my gay rights soapbox here, but I mm. I haven't given blood because if you are openly a gay man for the longest time, you couldn't like hmm. it was like oh, wow i forgot out, about that out of hiv fear i don't know i haven't tried to give blood in a while but uh they hmm. that was a very bad rule for a long time though i'll be honest i wouldn't try to give blood because whenever i have my blood taken at a doctor's office like i am out i am just like <laughs> i need 20 minutes to to give me that apple juice box that you give to the little kids here because i need it bart is giving plasma which i've done before and it takes a long time because you're strapped in this machine and they suck your blood out and then they spin it around and take out the plasma and put the blood back in you Ugh. 
Whoa. And I was able to buy one Game Boy Advance game with my winnings. <laughs> Not worth it. <laughs> and yeah, this this blood bank scene here too is uh, a big cut. There's weren't a ton of big cuts, but this is where the biggest one was. In the original script, you go inside with Bart and see the nurse take his blood. And we we found looking it up like there there's not any footage out there of it, but there was a drawing from like the animation stage of them showing the nurse taking Bart's blood. So I think they did animated or at least got far animating like at least layout happened i think but unfortunately from the uh from seasons one through three there's almost no deleted scene footage out there and then bob you had a funny i i think you cracked the code on why that is oh i I think it's just because klasky chupo has it all and their uh jim brooks doesn't want to work with them to get some of these (laughs) materials back i don't know if they inherited them when they switched to film roman in season four but i i honestly believe Uh, there's it's no coincidence that once the film roman seasons start in season four that's when they have access to deleted scenes yeah yeah or else maybe classic chupo just threw them out who knows (laughs) could be but the nurse in this scene uh it is such a tiny tiny line and she'll appear later in the episode uh uncredited carol kane which i want to say probably because jim brooks was you know the creator of taxi and she was on taxi but for some Uh reason did not want to use her name but she will later play maggie in the uh, dream sequence as well carol kane a like comedy legend she's so funny everything she's in i love her i for the longest time i didn't know that was her and in mike reese's book he said it and uh, like his 2018 book, he he mentioned it, and Al Jean backed it up on Twitter. But then we we watch the commentary, and they actually do say it, but it goes so fast. Everyone says it 0.3 seconds apart from each other, so it just overlaps and yeah. becomes just a smear of audio. I had missed it for so many times, but she's and one also the bit. Uh, so then in the script, and I wonder if they animated this too. I'd feel really bad if this got cut because it sounds like a lot of work. And then if they cut it, it's that when Bart is knocked out. He then has, there's there were originally two dream sequences in this. He would have a dream that he ruins the first Thanksgiving. And it's the Simpsons family with Squanto. And they offend Squanto. Bart's mean to him. Uh, and then uh, all of the Native Americans try to kill the Simpsons. And Bart then wakes up to the homeless guys. But I, I hope they didn't animate that entire sequence <laughs> and then cut it. That'd be really, that'd be really harsh. And, and I love the dream sequences back in these days. And the animators do so, I mean, the dream sequence later, one of the best stuff they ever drew. I love it. But uh, but yeah, so I think as a kid, I didn't understand you even could sell your blood. That was that was a new idea to me. Uh, but uh, yes, Bart passes out. We cut back to the uh, the family. I like that the mom just says, I'm sorry I came. <laughs> just just mean, mean to the end. Meanwhile, Abe tells a story about how Homer is just a complete pushover and had never had any self-confidence as a child. And he gleefully <laughs> agrees with him. Yeah. Yes, Dad. Just this broken man child is like, that's right, Dad. I, I, I never, I had no free will of my own. So then Bart wakes up and this is when the episode almost verges into like very special episode thing. Like there's an episode of, I think it was a Christmas one of Saved by the Bell of like, I was going to say yeah, Saved by the Bell. Yeah. <laughs> of it, What was it? Zach befriends a homeless girl and her father, right? Who I, live in the mall. I only know that because it's the, it's the most memorable episode of that show because they leave the school. Right. There's right. another set, which never happened. 
but but this whole i i think they undercut it enough but it definitely is the setup of a normal sitcom of the magical homeless people teach you the true meaning of a holiday kind of thing and in the script they have names uh, rory and casey although i don't know which is which i love um whichever one dan castellaneta is voicing it's um i kind of love that when he does a voice for a side character but it's like kind of not hiding his voice at all and the kind of character is sort of Sure, it kind of sounds like Homer. Uh, I I love uh, I love just being like, oh, I'll just do do this kind of, uh, kind of straight. But I also, yeah, in that scene, I felt like I was getting ready to cringe either that they were, you know, that it was going to be harsh about homelessness or that it was just going to be the trope you're talking about of a, of a magical hobo. And then I I did. F- Feel like they kind of walk the line kind of well where it, it's like brockman is being kind of shitty to them and, and stuff like that but you could feel the show is on is sort of on the on the right side without overdoing it mm-hmm. yeah the the show definitely agrees that it's hard to be homeless and it sucks that these people are lost to society and they get uh like the the line that comes later in this when the guy says see you at christmas i'm like oh they don't get fed every day like this this yeah. is a special right. thing for thanksgiving and yeah i guess the by having kent be the who is using their pain for his uh television show i mm-hmm. think that at least helps them a little bit be like hey maybe we're not totally doing that ourselves <laughs> because we're making fun of it mm-hmm. yeah but yes the the homeless guy one of them is it's also a bit of bill murray from caddyshack yeah. too yeah. but yeah Tim is right. He definitely sounds a lot like Homer. He's got the Homer beard line. He's balding too. So this is a Homer from a different reality. Things went much worse for him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yes, Bart gets a meal with his new homeless friends. All right, 12 big ones and free grub to boot. Viva Skid Row. Hey, it's that anchor dude from Channel 6. Oh yeah, he's doing one of those be thankful for what you got stories. Oh, we have lots of names for these people. Bums, deadbeats, losers, scums of the earth. We'd like to sweep these people into the gutter, or if they're already in the gutter, to some other out-of-the-way place. (laughs) Oh, we have our reasons. They're depressing, they wear ragged clothes, they're crazy, they smell bad. Hey, listen, man. Wait, I'm going somewhere with this. (laughs) So every year on one lone conscience-salving day, we toss these people a bone, a turkey bone. And that's supposed to make it all better. That that's such a uh, to me it feels like such a great writer joke too that Kent the, an editor would have told Kent to say half as much and the the point is there, <laughs> but he he says it for so long that the guy just has to go like hey come on right here and you're so right about the Bill Murray thing I didn't really pick up on that the first time but that is Castellaneta is kind of just doing and Murray that's great I think specifically his character from Caddyshack right I yeah think, yeah, yeah the uh, the gopher chasing guy Paul uh, Spackler. As a kid, I I love the Gopher. That was the I I think I asked my parents to rent me Caddyshack, and every in like the late '80s, and every sex and drug joke <laughs> just flew right by me. But I I was just counting down like when's that Gopher gonna show back up? Me too. And it's so I'm so ashamed that like years later you find out that you know the Gopher was like added after the fact because the studio made them have those animatronic shots, and that Doug Kenny and Harold Ramis put up a fight against it and <laughs> made. To be like oh when i was a kid that was my favorite part <laughs> hey uh, the studio execs were right yeah they brought a new yeah, audience to good. that movie 
Uh, there, I mean, hey, the, I would bet all the Caddyshack guys who fought against it, they're cashing all their checks from those gopher toys now. Like they, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I also, I like the design on the mission. The mission just feels like very realistic. Of like, yeah, there's uh, no joke signs on it or anything like that. Yeah, and it's also kind of broken down because it's like you can see this is poorly funded and probably it, it's a rescue mission because it's uh, likely like a Catholic or other organization that's doing it. It's not a government. Uh, I mean, it feels like a comment on you know reagan's america of uh, yeah. letting all these people down with no social programs and uh, i mean i also like the kent speech is just a guilt trip there's no other uh he he does not have a call to action to help these people no it's to make the viewer feel bad and that's that <laughs> and also apparently the original script of scott christian who was there the other news reporter that's but, right keeping uh, in line with the joke that kent brockman was always on assignment or on vacation it would always be scott christian I think this is the first time they truly fell in love with giving Kent Brockman a very long speech. Like this, this basically is the prototype for the Kent's people type Definitely, things yeah. they've done. And and also it's the first time a Simpson has occupied physical space with Kent Brockman. Hmm. So before they'd only seen him on TV. And yes, we we then get to learn a little bit behind the scenes about Kent as the, the family sees where Bart is in this next clip. Everyone, Lisa wants to read us a poem she's written. Sounds interesting. <laughs> Howl of the Unappreciated by Lisa Simpson. I saw the best meal. <gasps> it's Bart! Yo, it's this. And how long have you been on the streets? Going on five years, Kent. Hmm. Son, your family may be watching. Is there anything you'd like to say to them? Yes, there is, Kent. Ha ha, I didn't apologize. Oh, no. My sweet little Bart. Hello, operator. Give me the number for 911. <laughs> oh, man, that is a classic dumb person joke. I mean, I swear uh, Kelly Bundy had to make that joke within three years of this yes, episode being yeah. aired. <laughs> yeah, I was I was wondering about that, too. Like, that joke is just, it's like such a meatball of a joke that I'm like, everyone in America must have been making that joke. <laughs> it's it's one of my mom's favorites that she she would, as she'd, if I was going out uh, somewhere in my teens or 20s, she'd say, like, and you remember the number for 911? right <laughs> she loved that one it's uh it, it entertained my mom a lot i hearing lisa's title for it howl of the unappreciated <laughs> it gives you even more like urbanity to it because she she is like through this title she knows that you know this is a reference to howl and she's kind of winking at it like yeah i'm, I'm referencing right. Howl. pretty smart of me right <laughs> yeah exactly and and i like that they give just a moment for lisa alone in the room to just kind of look at her paper and like bart upstaged me again I can't I can't stand it. So I did Google the uh, phrase, what's the, the number for 911? The only other hit I could find was it was it uses a joke in the Little Rascals movie starring our former president. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Oh, right. Uh, oh, my God. Well, cameoing. Sure, sure. Our former president. Uh, uh, starring. Yeah, no, he played uh, Alfalfa. <laughs> better movie. <laughs> also, the, the bit about them saying, you know, she's married to he's married to the weather lady like that would exist in the show there's uh there was a deleted scene in i'm with cupid of kent throwing to the weather lady and uh her stephanie and stephanie saying like basically there's a cold front coming in uh buddy uh, but but she wouldn't appear in a broadcasted episode until tennis the menace wow. in season 12 as uh, the couple's partner with kent brockman i love that abe 
likes that tidbit that <laughs> that they're a couple because it's like he's like blow dried college boy and then but he's still it, it is such a great little class play where it's like like how you're saying about Lisa is reading her her take her update of Allen Ginsberg uh but then she's in a family that <laughs> that would like look at a news anchor and be like blow dried blow dried is just such a sp- funny specific to me and I love it's like we all kind of like mock and hate rich ivy leaguers but just the idea of blow-dried college boy is like it's such a low level for him to be up on a pedestal because he blow dries his hair but then he's still interested to hear that who he's dating it does feel i feel like when i was growing up in my hometown we knew facts about the news people like oh he shops at the food land i've seen him (laughs) just these very banal facts about them I also love Bart created a backstory for himself. Like he's living a character there, like uh, going on five years, kid. I just love that. Mm-hmm. And also I, I like even the design of the food. It it looks like the Thanksgiving dinner you'd get at a mission of just like, well, these are reheated cold cuts. Yeah, and, everything's very wet. Yes, very wet. Uh, and so... Homer calls up, then it cuts to uh, back to the mission, and uh, Kent drives off thanking them for another local Emmy, and I love the guy, like, yeah, I'm really rooting for you, pal. In that scene, <laughs> this is very small, but in that scene, uh, the person saying those lines has Kent's voice, but it is not him. It's another white-haired man. Yes. Which yeah. I only noticed this time. I've heard that line a billion times. I've seen this episode probably 50 times, and in the future, in this season, they will call him a local Emmy winner. Yeah, And I think Itchy right. and Scratchy and Marge. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, it- this did get him a local Emmy. <laughs> that uh, wow, that uh, that leads up to all the other jokes with it. I love his later in the kids' news episode of him presenting the the greatest award that Del Monte gives. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, looking at that picture, they completely off-model Kent. There, I think it is. I, I told you my theory. I I think that they somebody at the overseas production mixed him up with Carl, but not. not Carl Homer's co-worker but Carl from Simpson and Delilah his gay assistant because it's the very similar hairline it's it's the Kent colors but it's Carl's nose and and hairline instead it's like they put his head on Kent Brockman's body yeah it's very strange yeah. <laughs> uh, but also it's like it seems like kind of a complicated shot it'd be hard to do a retake for too so I also I like too that this the the way it doesn't go into the magical hobo thing of like when Bart just says when Bart offers up 12 bucks the homeless guys like I, I wouldn't feel weird just yeah <laughs> in another show they'd be like kid uh keep your money we've got yeah. dignity yeah <laughs> but they they are realistic guys who are like i could definitely use six dollars right now i could so. buy some of that rock cut yeah <laughs> put, put me to sleep for at least a couple days bart runs off we then get a shot of lou and eddie talking to marge and homer with a scene they reused at least one other time in radio bart of just if they need the cops talking to Homer and Marge. Normally it would be Wiggum because at this point in time, they were still thinking realistically, police chief Wiggum would not be investigating yeah. <laughs> these local causes. He's got local cases. He's got better things to do, but no, in the future, he would be there with them. Mm-hmm. And there'd be more jokes. And this is also where it's a real mix of not only does Lou speak with Eddie's voice. No, Eddie speaks with Lou's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, like you said, it's Greg Berg doing the other cop, not uh, not the Shearer cop voice. And uh, and then apparently in the in the script, there's a quick scene of Homer riding around in the car with the cops searching for Bart's. And this would have been the first appearance of Milhouse's dad. Oh, man. He's in the script. Mm. I don't think he would have appeared until season three. 
I, you know, I'm glad they didn't use it because I bet they would have done a character design for him that wouldn't have been the iconic Kirk Van Houten that we all know and love. Actually, it might have been season five. Was his first line, get off our property? I believe it okay. is. I believe it is. And you're Bart right. uh, gets an elephant, I think. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and yes, there's, I also love the shot of when you see Bart walking home in silhouette with, with Santa's little helper. And he's like some Thanksgiving, huh, boy? I just love that shot. It's, it's real pretty. And I also like in the next scene, when I think about it, it's crazy. The entire extended family, when the sun is missing, they're like, man, I'm sure he'll turn up. We got to go home. (laughs) (laughs) I I think if it was Thanksgiving day and I went missing, my grandparents wouldn't go like, I got to get out of here. I Abe has a good yeah. reason. Abe does. He doesn't sure. want to be declared dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the family exchange of Marge trying to sell Homer. Like we can't blame ourselves. Like we can and will. <laughs> and, and also Marge saying that every every uh, syndicated advice columnist will tell you the same thing. Kids need discipline. <laughs> uh, but yes, when Bart has come home, and that's when we get the apology nightmare in this next clip. Hey everybody, I'm home. Bart, you're home. <laughs> My special little guy. We were so worried. Oh, it's great to have you back, boy. We were afraid we'd lost you. Welcome back, Bart. I'm sorry we had such a terrible fight. Bart, isn't there something you'd like to say to your sister? Okay. I'm sorry, too. No, no, no. That won't do at all. Yeah, boy, get down on your knees and beg for forgiveness. Yeah, beg me, Bart. Beg me. Lisa, I beg of you. Please forgive me. (laughs) Now we can blame him for everything. It's your fault, I'm bold. I'm sorry. It's your fault, I'm old. I'm sorry. It's your fault, I can't talk. I'm sorry. It's your fault, America has lost its way. I'm sorry. 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 Sorry, I came back here. Amazing drawings. Uh, you have to look the scene up on Frankie Yak if you haven't seen it in a while. It's just uh, one of the most expressive and stylized dream sequences they've done in the show. Mm. And it was actually laid out. The drawings, the animation drawings, were laid out by Eric Stefani, who would later leave the show uh, for a little band called No Doubt. Yes. Yeah. But he was working on the show at this point. <laughs> really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, Eric Stefani, the original lead singer of No Doubt, when it wasn't going well, he was like, well, I can do my animation work. And then while working on Simpsons, that's when with his sister in in the lead role, uh, No Doubt got huge. And he, I think they tell this story on one commentary that like he got a gold record delivered to the office. (laughs) And and then that's when they realize like he's not sticking around much longer. (laughs) But then he didn't, uh, like he left the band as well. So then did he go on to have a, an animation career or a solo music project he would come back to the show occasionally right i, I think freelance wise he'd do some stuff every now and then but yeah i think i think uh he, he the old record sold enough that it's like well i could just retire i he, he right yeah, yeah those were old that's like old school record industry where you could still just be like well it's platinum so i'm rich forever <laughs> now i i remember hearing some story about oh it was the band great whites and it was a follow-up with them about how uh the, the band that burned a bunch of people in a horrible accident oh, right yeah. uh but it, it was an interview with them where they were being asked like you know you guys aren't touring anymore how do you make money and they're like we had a hit song in the 80s we're good forever like they they'll always <laughs> have money 
but yeah the staging on this whole thing is so great like it starts as a normal shot that you'd see in a regular episode and then the camera starts to move down and you're seeing it from bart's perspective and the everybody towers and over leaning him into the camera and then that pan that great pan across all the family members releases there three times oh right god it's so good the colors on it and then and that it's a circular pan that it comes back to homer and i do think it captures how a selfish little boy thinks who thinks like mm -hmm. if i apologize for this then they'll blame me for everything i'll be on my like he's thinking he'll be vulnerable showing that small amount of vulnerability of apologizing will make you a victim forever is what bart thinks and so i can't do that <laughs> It's a Pandora's box and he can't ever apologize. <laughs> and then also uh, the, I love the shot of all the fingers pointing at him moving in. It's so great. Sort of a ref the pink elephants on parade. Yes. Yeah. From, uh, from the old Dumpo. Uh, and so, uh. so yes, Bart refuses to apologize heads up to the roof, which that was another thing from George Meyer's life. I, I think too, I feel the pain of these writers that like in your first, you know, five, six years on the show, you plumb the depths of every childhood experience you have and eventually you run out of them and, <laughs> and it's like well where do you go from there yeah then you're you're trying to pitch episodes about being like a sad overpaid tv writer who eats huge lunches <laughs> yes, yeah. or being uh, mad at executives yeah or a divorced yeah. rich guy who's mad about uh, <laughs> yes, yes. jay sherman <laughs> yeah jay sherman has a lot of problems with alimony that's why <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah bart throwing the football to himself also great animation and i love his celebratory like the boy who nobody wanted just won the super bowl then comes another big cut from the episode where when in the script when lisa is writing in her log to herself there was going to be shots of other families having very tense thanksgivings after after mm. she says like probably doesn't happen to other families and then you're supposed to see oh no it's hard for everybody it's another scene of lisa just sitting down and writing something <laughs> yeah <laughs> on her fancy you know good for your posture knee killer seats or whatever i've never sat in one of those i, I, uh, I couldn't figure it out i think I, there's one in an office and i just was writing it like a mechanical bull <laughs> by the time we were in office cultures it was more the yoga balls as seats i saw those far oh yeah more often. Uh, but yes then comes another of my like all-time favorite lines that really it really captures the feeling of a person who like tries uh, makes excuses for bad things being done to them dear log my brother is still missing and maybe it's my fault because I failed to take his abuse with good humor. Hmm. I miss him so much already that I don't know. <laughs> hey, Lisa, Lisa, it's me, Bart. <laughs> Bart, where are you? Shh, I'm on the roof. centerpiece oh come on was it because you hate me or because you're bad i don't know i don't know why i did it i don't know why i enjoyed it and i don't know why i'll do it again that whole speech sums up like why bart's whole thing it's just he yeah. likes he can't explain why he does it but he's like yeah he likes being bad he can't he doesn't understand it but it gives him a lot of pleasure and and also it says so much about lisa that she like wants to she actually feels bad that bart is missing she's worried about yeah. him while being mad at him this is a very bart adventure episode but lisa's going through a lot she's so mature it's so funny that this little girl is like 
like speaking like someone who has you know had plenty of therapy and read a lot of books and like mm-hmm. really knows uh, family dynamics and stuff like that and she can key in onto this so it's so funny that then bart is just the exact opposite i mean the one of my favorite lines ever in the show is because i failed to take his abuse with good humor <laughs> because that is just this understanding of a dysfunctional family that if she had just taken his abuse with good humor and laughed it off that is the accepted way that everyone in the family deals with it it's like no we're not supposed to actually get mad at each other because then this all falls apart we don't talk about it (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that she's uh they'd actually do a better version of that line though in marge marge says it in streetcar gentle good humor yeah when when she's talking about how her character reacts to stanley treating her poorly couldn't she just take his abuse with gentle good humor (laughs) which which says a lot about marge in a very sad way Bart interaction with Lisa here is like sweet like she's she's trying to reach him and she's like please why why are you doing this he just can't explain it and uh then we get to our last clip here in a very James L. Brooks speech as well about why people apologize just tell me you're sorry why should I Bart the only reason to apologize is if you look deep down inside yourself and you find a spot something you wish wasn't there because you feel bad you hurt your sister's feelings. Leave me alone. Just look. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Looking for the spot. Still checking. Oh, this is so stupid. I'm not going to find anything. Just because I wrecked something she worked really hard on and I made her cool. Uh-oh. I'm sorry, Lisa. Apology accepted. You know, Marge, we're great parents. Oh, Lord, on this blessed day, we thank thee for giving our family one more crack at togetherness. Amen. A lot of ASMR of smacking lips there. There, There's a funny joke in the script that was cut where Marge is the one looking out the window at them uh, reconciling. And she says, if they don't fall off the roofs and kill themselves, if they don't fall off the roof and kill themselves, we'll have a family again. (laughs) That's funny. I I think it it undercuts the the, the gentle sappiness. I I can take the sappiness. It's very cute. But uh, I I did like that line. Well, also in the script, like Bart gives her, she doesn't accept the apology and then Bart gives her $12 and she does accept it. That also kind of, it's funnier, but it, it also is kind of cynical undercutting of the, uh, of the of the moment there i mean that must have been a constant conversation in the room right like i think of these writers as such such smarty pants funny boys <laughs> that like when 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 brooks is saying like guys just have it be a nice moment that that must have been hard for them or maybe they they grew enough by the time they even got to this episode that they could just uh do it and and, and happily made those cuts but like it is so strange that even though i'm just like a comedy fan who's in it for the jokes i don't really want that moment to be uh undercut with a with uh Hmm. snark it's like well earned we've had a lot of laughs along the way and i'm not really like somehow i i I never roll my eyes at the schmaltz in this show uh because it's done well yeah you know by i i definitely think it was that over time brooks got less involved and they could get away with things like they i think they they mentioned on the commentary for the monorail episode that when they had leonard nimoy teleport away they're like (laughs) boy i can't this was this was a show about a family at one time this this really does feel uh this really does fit with the earlier theme of finding success and failure because their their thanksgiving was ruined and bart was gone but now the very sweetness is them you know eating cold turkey at the end of the night and i think al jean said it's it's the biggest trick to have nothing but dark jokes and tragedy 
tragedy and cruelty. But then if you end with 30 seconds of niceness, it's the biggest trick in the world. Yeah. And everybody falls for it. I agree. And it works. That's, I mean, that seeing them eat those sandwiches is like a really nice image and very rewarding to the viewer. And I also like like that speech on the roof. You're right. It is very brooksy because it's like it's also sort of generic in a way that i like but that you don't see in half hour tv writing anymore where like i feel like right now most of the shows uh on the air like what bart did wrong would have to be such a specific thing that leads to a very specific way he learns his lesson and then needs to apologize i feel like there's a sort of genericness to just like bart did something bad and what makes him see the error of his ways is just like his sister being like don't you feel bad and it's it's kind of straightforward and and it saves us a lot of like shoe leather to create some Mm. scenario where bart needs to learn the exact lesson he needs to learn because all he needs to learn is like don't don't be mean to your sister she's your sister yeah it could have easily been way too clever with maybe let's say bart uh along his his journey outside of the home he picks up items and then he presents lisa with the centerpiece at the end like i made it for you lisa it's just like yours and then it'd be too much but you're right how broad it is it does feel like at least is a bit too smart for age but it seems like it conceivably be children having this conversation yeah and it's it just it, you know the the more broad you keep it the more like relatable it is and it's like i'm not gonna have the experience of like well then i ground the streets and put together a scrappy centerpiece of my own or, or, or whatever like that's not gonna happen but in in real life this conversation could happen you could see that kind of speech being made in a mary tyler moore episode that brooks would have worked on because those you yes. can't just cut to a crazy thing or whatever it would just be a speech about you know mary tells to lou grant or ted about like here ted this is why you need to apologize to this person yeah and that thing the the line about just like find that little thing in your in yourself that feels that is it's 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 a movie type of speech and it's an old-timey sitcom speech but you can't really picture in on like a, a mike sure show or a tina fey show or something like that it's probably just too generic mm. for them and they're like oh come on let's let's beat that but i like that we don't beat it yeah yeah this episode uh i do like it as an adult as a, a character trying to uh find empathy uh and uh, just a, a, a discussion about empathy but i also like the first act because it reminds me a lot of the garfield christmas special oddly enough where it's just <laughs> a very slow and observational thing saying what is this holiday like for this middle class family and just having a bunch of observational humor so you get two different kinds of uh content in this episode if i can call it that is that the special where they go out to the farm and meet the grandma yes oh i love that one that i I gotta rewatch that because i I remember that like to me as a kid that was just as classic as like rudolph and frosty uh but uh they don't air it anymore i gotta track it down yeah it's uh it's very relaxed like there's not a giant like issue or anything it's just the family goes through what every christmas is like for them just a Mm -hmm. series of traditions it's illegally available on youtube thanks to jim davis yeah it's just on the official garfield youtube channel yeah no no i agree with you bob i think i i really like this feels like a crystallation of what george meyer's thanksgivings were and it just feels or just one person's thanksgiving growing up and it and it does have a certain universal quality to it as well and then it it verges towards like magical homeless guy stuff and uh and all that but other than that i think it's just a really just well-told just full thanksgiving event story mm-hmm. i i like it quite a lot made me uh feel like i gotta give more credit to the early seasons you guys know the show a lot better than i do and i feel like i've sort of been walking around with this thing in my head of like ooh, baby i love those 
you know, seasons four, five, and six. Those, I had those DVD sets and I watched them the most and that's where the show gets the best. And then, and I knew that this would have the Brooksy sweetness to it, but I got enough LOLs out of this episode mm-hmm. that I was like, I have to rethink my feelings on season two. It's a good show. It's a different flavor, but I think it's just as valid as the the sillier yeah. seasons for sure. But man, Tim, thank you yes. so much. That was we we that that was a long one, but we really appreciate it, Tim. I hope you had a good oh time. Oh my god, too. what a blast! Great talking to you guys. And uh, and I guess Tim, do you have anything you'd want to promote? Uh, sure. Easiest would just be, um, I got a podcast with my band, the Sloppy Boys, and mm. it's a cocktail podcast where we tr- make a different. We look up some classic cocktail we've never had or sometimes never heard of and make it every week. So check out The Sloppy Boys. And I know you have a Twitter account that has, appears to have been taken over <laughs> by oh, a yes. woman named Linda. I, yeah, uh, look for Linda Underwear on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> has nothing to do with me. She's taken over the handle. I've been enjoying that. Uh, I, I'm well, a, good, I, I'll relay the message. <laughs> I, I'm a big Sloppy Boys fan, too. I love the... I I think Party with the Reds is one of my favorite songs. <laughs> the, or, or else, Thank you. <laughs> Or the lifeguard song that is also another <laughs> folks should just look look up all the all your guys' songs on I mean you're on Spotify I would assume right uh yeah we're on Spotify and Apple and and all the streamers we got three albums kind of like a a party rock thing and hopefully when COVID's over we'll be touring your town Ooh, soon I like I, that I was very jealous of a friend uh of ours that who lived in LA and was saying like I've seen the Sloppy Boys like three times I was like oh man <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny we we we've for a long time, we just keep pummeling the same people with shows over and over and over again. And it is so nice to get out of town. Like, I've always heard New York and L.A. crowds are bad, but it's all I've ever known. And then <laughs> doing some touring to any other, like you go to Philadelphia and you're like, oh, my God, this crowd is so much better. <laughs> oh, but thank you so much for your time, Tim. Thanks a lot. I had a blast, guys. So thanks so much to Tim Kalpakis for being on the show. Please check out The Sloppy Boys, his podcast, and also check out The Birthday Boys, a great two-season sketch comedy show. He is one of The Birthday Boys. There mm-hmm. are many others. As for us, if you want to support what we do and hear more of our shows, please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Sign up there for five bucks a month. You'll get every episode one week ahead of time and ad free and also access to everything behind the $5 paywall. That includes too many things to list here, but we have so many miniseries behind that paywall. The most recent one, it's currently ongoing, is Talking of the Hill Season 2 Part 1, 11 new episodes of King of the Hill. And you can hear so many other things like Talking Critic, Talking Futurama, Talking Mission Hill, so many more things happening behind the $5 paywall. But if you sign up for 10 bucks a month at patreon.com slash talking simpsons you get all the five dollar stuff plus also access to one mega long podcast every month just for patrons of that level or higher and what is that henry why bob you're discussing the what a cartoon movie podcast our premiumist of podcasts uh so you know every week in addition to talking simpsons we do the what a cartoon podcast and each month we do an extra long premium podcast where we cover an animated feature film in the same level of detail that we cover the simpsons recent ones have included the DuckTales movie, Ghibli classic Whisper of the Heart, Dexter's Lab Ego Trip, and even our longest podcast we've ever done, five hours about the end of Evangelion. So please sign up today to get over a hundred hours of additional extra long podcasts about movies in addition to all that five dollar stuff for 10 bucks a month at patreon.com slash talking simpsons so as for me i've been one of your hosts bob Mackey. you can find me on twitter as bob servo my other podcast by the way is retronauts the classic gaming podcast about old video games find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts sign up there for two full-length bonus episodes every month henry how about you 
You can follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Anytime I've got new thoughts, you'll hear about them there on Twitter. And if you're on Twitter already, you should be following the official Twitter account of this podcast at Talk Simpsons Pod. You want to know when new podcast goes live on the free feed or on the Patreon or when we have polls or other cool news? Why, you'll know about it if you follow at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, folks. We'll see you next week for Season 12's The Great Money Caper, and we will see you then. to unveil my centerpiece to the family. It's a tribute to the trailblazing women who made our country great. See? There's Georgia O'Keeffe, Susan B. Anthony, and this is Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. I'm sure you haven't heard of her, but she worked her whole life to preserve the Florida Everglades. As one of the Simpson women, would you like to contribute something to it? Oh, thank you.